0: So a lot of people listening to this podcast know that I'm working on a biography of Tupac Shakur, and I'm sure plenty of you are wondering, what type of cred do you have? And when I say, I'm a journalist, y'all say, nah. And when I say, winning time, y'all say, nah. So that's why I'm pulling out my most important qualification. When I'm not here, and I'm not focused on books, I perform deep, deep, deep on the underground as the rapper big Jew. And a few days ago, at the Grammy Museum in Los Angeles, I stepped into the freestyle booth and, with a little help from Auto-Tune, busted this.
1: I'll
0: keep my day job. My name is Jeff Perlman. I'm the New York Times best-selling author of 10 books and the host of Two Writers Singing Yang, the podcast where one writer, me, talks writing with another writer every single week. And today's guest is Sean Keeler, the Denver Post sports columnist and once upon a time in the Music City two newspaper battle royale, my arch enemy. This is episode number 346. Let's some Dad, your podcast sucks, I and mean, face looks like a bowl of cereal that's been left in the sun for too long. All right, Sean, thank you for doing this. And um, I was thinking, I had a million different ways to start this, and I'm going to go with this. Back in, uh, I think 1996, you and I were both young, up and coming. I don't know, sports writers at the in Nashville. You were at the Nashville Banner. I was at the Tennessean. They were rival papers in the same building. Banner was the afternoon paper. Tennessee was the morning paper, and I remember you coming along, and me because I was a little dick, being super. I don't know if jealous is the right word, but certainly resentful of like, oh, this hotshot young sports writer, blah 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 blah, and like probably thinking in my head, I'm the hotshot s- s- yeah. s- young, which is so stupid. We both had pretty long careers in journalism. I was a cocky little douchebag. And I didn't really know you then. I just knew your byline. I knew that there was this really talented, really good sports writer who I resented in Nashville. And I wonder, like, were you a cocky douchebag, too, or were you just happy to have
1: a job? I'm still a cocky douchebag. <laughs> you have see, I was going to say, we're about the same age. You've grown up and matured, and and I am, I'm still living that 24-year-old dream. I was very much a cocky douchebag. I hated you. There you go. There you go, podcast listen. Because this was two alphas, two riding alphas in the same space. Now, clinically, we can look at it as closet psychologists and see what it was. Because I'm like, I'm going to be the young king of this town and get the heck out of Dodge and do whatever. And there's this Perlman guy riding literal circles around me. And I'm like, It's bad enough that I'm at the paper that's going to die, that I'm at the PM and I'm barely scratching for dear life, Uh, all of which was true, all of which turned out to be true. And here's this other guy at prep games with his glasses and his hat, and he's eight times as clever and 10 times as sharp and quick at a time when you had to be quick. (laughs) And because equipment may not work if you're not quick to boot. And so I kind of laugh in following your journey from afar that God, that we're all still alive. Bless us all. So I have grown up a little bit and I've come to appreciate many of my mistakes and misgivings from those days, but it was mutual and the respect is mutual too, my friend.
0: You realize in hindsight, like I'm like, Oh fuck Sean Keeler, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And like most of the people around you, just want to get home and be with their kids you think it's the most important thing in the world and then you grow up a little bit and you realize oh there are actually more important things than being the best preps writer in Nashville Tennessee
1: yeah you you get there you do and and I it probably took me a decade of a lot of bumps you shot into the moon and I kind of trudged along there, but I I got there from a perspective standpoint. And yeah, it's completely different now. This is what's funny for me now. And I know this is a little bit about how the sausage is made, but I laugh and think about people I used to work with who are the age I am now and what they must have thought of me then 25. Now we can say 25 years ago, 26 years ago. And I'm, I'd like to apologize to all those people. I think, yes. including yourself, because I was so—I had a little too much Northwestern Medill in me that had to get beaten out uh, by life, and uh, and life did. Life, life did beat it out of me. Let's
0: actually talk on this for a minute. Most of the writers I've had on here, yourself included, who have had sustained careers in journalism, had a little bit of that douchebag swagger in them. You do, but then almost all of us, if you have any sense of humanity look back in horror, do you need to have a little bit of douchebag swagger at some point in your career, or is that just a bad attribute?
1: I think a little douche helps you. I don't know who said that wit was a a shield, not a sword. You know, it's kind of one of those things where when you're dealing with celebrities and celebrities who have, A very high opinion of themselves consistently you've you've got to have your own protection you've got to be able to swing fast swing hard and bring it so i think a little of that i think a little of that is good with your subjects and is a tricky i think you learn to balance that better maybe as you get older or maybe because you have scar tissue i mean mine is not for this 26 year god how long 96. Was that 28? God dang it, man. It's a long time. I think the scar tissue helps you to balance that, but when you're young, when you're covering preps and or colleges and or the Oilers or whatever uh, in 1996-97, you have no idea what the ratio of that is. And now I run into young guys who are talented who also don't have that ratio. And I have to kind of, sometimes I will say, hey, You know, maybe a little of this or maybe you should do that, but not probably not as often as I should and not as direct as some people were to me very, very early on in the late 90s. I I, this is a rabbit hole. I didn't know if we were going to go down, but I, I got to thinking in listening to prior episodes of Sling and Yang about some of the elders I had who just literally one told me to shut the fuck up literally to my face. And I never forgot that because he was right. And you, you kind of don't forget that, I guess, if that makes sense. And so I guess I've always been a little, a little humbled ever since.
0: I will counter your shut the fuck up moment with, I was at the Tennessean and I was so out of control. They offered two veteran writers to serve as my mentors, Brad Schmidt and Joe Rogers. And the editor of the newspaper pulled me aside and said, we're going to have them mentor you and you can talk to them. And I said, no, I don't need that. I don't want that. Imagine being these two guys and you're offering to help this 22 23 year old journalist and he says no i don't need it the level of arrogance one must have it it actually hurts my head when i think about it too much
1: you yeah you trump me on that one See, I just never got the help. (laughs) And then in the next two stops, you know, I was a columnist at 27 then, you know, whatever, five years later. And that's a psychiatrist dream. My Des Moines registered decade is a is an interesting topic. But openly, people were just like, screw him. You know, it's just like there wasn't even that. So I'm envious of you yet again, because if anyone had that offer at the Nashville banner, they sure as heck didn't take it. And they sure as heck uh, didn't care. And that's okay. I love them anyway.
0: You were at the banner. The banner was in the the limping days of the newspaper uh, and really the limping days of afternoon newspapers. When you were there uh, again, for listeners who would know the Tennessean morning newspaper, Nashville banner afternoon newspaper in Nashville.
1: Did you know the banner was dying? Yes. I needed the work. Yeah. You know, that was my first full-time job out of college fall of 96, whatever. I think I'd finished a summer internship at the Atlanta journal constitution during the Olympic summer. And I was all thrilled about that idea until like, you know, the Olympic summer until I realized two things. One, I was there to cover everything other than the Olympics. (laughs) again things you realize in hindsight that you were there to clean up because other important people uh jeff schmidt is doing this and terrence is doing this you have to go help do this and then august came around and like uh well what are you gonna do with your life and not like oh hey come on we need you we really want want you here to help out that was probably the first wake-up call a very small one of what has been six or seven little wake-up calls ever since but so yeah i mean Nashville was close driveable to Atlanta and it was a burgeoning pro market, not as big as it is now. And it is going to be weirdly and, and yeah, but I knew it was never going to be a long-term thing. And I was on that ship when it died and was technically laid off, which has also been a paradigm for the continual 28 years that followed. I was going back through our DMS
0: on Twitter. Cause we've DM through the, over the years and there was a point 2015, we are writing back and forth and you said Fox nationwide layoff back on July 1st, not fun. And then a few weeks later you wrote me, this is a crossroads moment for me. My wife and my family and I are tired of the sports writing game. I like it, but the stability yikes. And you had a lot of years where you were like, I don't know. I don't know. We rented in Kansas city, you know, blah, blah, blah. Never sold our house in Des Moines. It's really complicated. It's really getting hard. And the fact that you are a columnist for the Denver post brings me a lot of joy because I feel like you've suffered a lot of hardship in sports journalism. I thought there was a point where you were just going to be done with it, where you'd be working in PR or marketing or something. How and why did you actually reach this point of having a solid gig at a really good newspaper, writing really good columns in a major sports market?
1: I don't know. Uh, being too stupid and stubborn to know when to quit and finding nothing is as easy as, is this, I guess I, 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 I believe me my family keeps asking that question my parents are still hanging in there god bless it and they're they're they've been about done with it about eight different times it's uh i have a family member who is unlucky in love and i kind of joke that i'm kind of unlucky in career and and it's useless trying to get us to talk about him about women and me about jobs because they're like look at you you're back <laughs> you know it's going to happen you're right back in this again there is Otis rush, I can't quit you. I don't know. I there is there is a thing where it there I've never stopped being curious. And I've often wondered what it would be like many times, obviously, but, you know, we're talking five layoffs probably in 20 years, what it would be like on the other side. And I often ask myself, what have I loved enough that I would be willing to just sell my soul to pitch regardless. And I never found anything that I loved pitching as much as the truth. And that sounds really high and mighty, but that's from the God's honest truth a bit. And also, I, I looked like Zach Galifianakis, so I'm sure they were – I'm not going to – I've interviewed for PR jobs. And I'm sure they just looked at me like, absolutely not. You are – or not the front facing uh, friendly face of this organization. And, and I've been a lot cleaner than I am now and a lot skinnier than I am now. So maybe that played a role too, is maybe the other side won't have me. And maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. You
0: said, I'm five layoffs in 20 years. What was your low point?
1: Long pregnant Pause. Ironically, probably maybe mathematically speaking about the time that you're referencing those direct messages. Because I want to say that there was a long bit of freelancing for a long, long time that, that led to a lot of hard questions. And that's like, God, it's like picking least favorite children, picking your worst time of it. No, I... I'll say that and and to be that open with you in that forum probably reveals a lot of more personal desperation than I'd be comfortable doing uh, out there. But it was and it was hard and it is hard with the family and it is hard with a marriage and a mortgage and what have you. It's, you know, uh, but I don't I also don't want to be a martyr or be an example of this, that or otherwise, because it's. It's been a roller coaster, but it's a roller coaster I signed up for, so I got to own that. It's almost like a movie. Like
0: if you take you and I, right? We're at these major newspapers, and we're in our early twenties, and we're talking shit, and we think we're the man, and blah blah blah. And like, you go through life. I had a freaking dark. Took this job in Newsday. Thought it was going to be the best thing ever. Before I know it, they're like, "We want you coming in five days a week and sitting behind a desk." And I'm like, "I didn't I sign up for this shit." Like, right. The reality of journalism is it beats the shit out of you. Like it really does beat the shit out of you. And the highs are super, super, super high, but it's not an easy, it's not what the 22 year old who psyched to be sitting at the Daytona 500
1: necessarily thinks it's going to be and that's what's challenging about being on the other side of this is I have been asked to mentor even some current coworkers and I have to be careful not to tell them what I really, 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 really think, which is like, get away. Why? <laughs> go to go do something. Is there's the obligatory? Well, you, you're going to work nights and weekends. You're going to, you know, it might be hard to to have a social life. It might be hard to do this. You might develop X habit or Y habit. I mean, think of all the people that we know is kind of the gen X is kind of that bridge generation where the newspapers have kind of died all around us. And we got into that reading the greats of the seventies, eighties, nineties, what have you and emulating that and then watching who they were or who they became, (laughs) you know, meet your heroes, some good, some bad, some whatever. But I, yeah, I, I know what I would tell the 22 year old version of me, but to your point, I don't know that the 22 year old version of me would listen.
0: Yeah. I don't know if you've gone through this. I remember being at the Tennessean and there'd be right. Whoever Mo Patton and Mike Orkin. And, and, (laughs) and I'd be like in my head, I'm better than these guys. Like I'm better than these guys. I should be, I should be covering Tennessee state. I should be covering Vanderbilt. Why am I just on preps? I'm better than these guys. And like, as you grow, you realize like, I didn't know anything about reporting. I didn't know anything about building sources. Yeah. I didn't know anything about, being prompt. I didn't know anything about how to handle a press conference. I was just a cocky guy coming out of a college newspaper who thought he could write really well. And even my writing was sucked. I just didn't realize it. Like you think you know so much. And then one day you're like, oh, like those guys knew a lot more than I did.
1: It's age, it's age or ass kicking or both. And I am actually grateful to both. I'm definitely grateful for the ass kicking. It's not just. The layoffs, but the the people who were older than me, who said, uh, another columnist said, Nobody gives a fuck about you' We were at a Super Bowl where I'm like, I'm going to write about when I did this and saying, you know, what did but he looks at me in the butt? One of those great, you know, buses, bus trips somewhere. It's like, no one gives a fuck about you. And I think he was being serious. What's weird is then the like Bill Simmons made a made like a billion dollars off that idea. So he, he may have been wrong unless you can do a compelling I have enough Bostonites who, who subscribe to that but I was very young. And so these are things that stuck with you for right or for wrong. And so then when I see people who are certain, and that's, what's weird about talking to you about this, because it, I'm going to have to, you know, I feel like you're going to bill me for times on the time on the couch <laughs> because I'm not that interesting. I'm not that compelling. I like writing compelling stories about compelling people. I'm curious about you. I'm always sort of, fascinated by those who are curious about me, because you're right. There are, there are some things in my story, which I wish I could write a movie about <laughs> write a TV series about, but they wouldn't, you know, you'd probably do it better. And I'd be mad. My goal is to hang in there long enough so that I don't have somebody like you writing, writing the movie that I don't get to do notes on eventually, you know, and, and sell it to Showtime or whatever.
0: I don't know if I told you this, but I, I actually just sold a pitch to uh, Netflix. It's called killer. I don't know if I mentioned that to you. I'm pretty psyched about it. Before we continue with two writers slinging Yang, a quick word from our sponsor. Hey, this is Jeff Perlman, and I'm here with my daughter, Casey. So how was the K-pop store? It was pretty great. I bought two NCT Dream albums, three NCT 127 albums, a Yuta Nakamoto poster, a 1984 Michigan Panthers Anthony Carter jersey, a Jungwoo book, a How to Sing Like Jenny Kim instructional manual, and- Wait, wait. You bought a 1984 Michigan Panthers Anthony Carter jersey at the K-pop store? Well, actually I bought it at royalretros.com, kings of the throwback sports merchandise. But then, all the 13-year-old K-pop fanatics surrounded me and started tearing at the fabric while screaming, I love you, Young! I love you, Young!" So I opened my own Royal Retros kiosk and now I'm rich. This is just too weird. We K-pop fans never disappoint. You've been a columnist for a long time now, a good amount of time at the Denver Post. And you just said something kind of interesting. You said you got the advice, nobody cares about you. Is that actually true? And what I mean is, if you're a columnist and you try out for the Denver Broncos as you know as a fun column where you decide- Paper Lion, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right, Paper Lion type stuff. You, I'm going to be a kicker for a day. I'm going to play women's soccer for a day. I'm going to go to a WNBA cheerleader audition for a day and be a judge, blah, 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 whatever. You and I came up in an era where it was nobody cares about you. Don't write about yourself. Don't write about yourself. Nobody cares about you. Is that actually true?
1: I think that has changed with the gener- our kids generation thereof is way more self-absorbed than we were. <laughs> you know, they're, yeah. and, and sharing what's made my job easier now pushing to my late forties, fifties, is we now are in a society where sharing is encouraged, where your life is a semi-open book if you want it to be. And again, this there's the old man waving a fist at clouds. That wasn't what we grew up with at all. And personally, I, I don't. And even if I were king of the world, I probably wouldn't because that is proprietary to the people I love and the people I want to know my life. But, proprietary is gone. Like we're in a world to your point where being the most interesting person to everyone all the time is the aspiration. And we absolutely did not, I mean, not technically grow up with that format or that idea. We certainly didn't have the technology to be that, but I, yeah, I think that's changed. I think 22 year old me now would, would, and I've had uh, friends in, Teammates, so to speak, and coworkers who've done exactly those things. I think I've done, I did a, a very young, did a first person, what it's like to sit in a minor league hockey penalty box for a game. I, I guess maybe because I've just never pulled that off like a George Plimpton. Uh, have I never wanted to specifically go down there? But I think to your point, I always hated the, the letter I or the noun I, uh, in writing. I, I don't think that's quite the sacrilege it used to be. And, and the person who said this to me was older than me too. So uh, yeah, I think that is different now.
0: You're obviously at a really fascinating time to be a columnist in Colorado, which is the arrival and rising semi kind of temporary fall, maybe of Deion Sanders. You've written a lot about coach prime. I have one in front of me. Why would Deion Sanders stiff Texas am football? See buffs. Give him one thing. Aggies can't absolute power. Your lead was, can you imagine the first time Bubba Booster suggested Deion Sanders who ought to play fullback or ask Coach Prime to entertain his foursome on some random Thursday at the PGA Resort in Frisco or want Sanders to fly out and meet his mama? Deion, we got a a business agreement with this here young man, so click. Prime, Prime, Bubba here. We got to go because click. Nobody, not Bubba, not Texas A.M. Athletic Director Ross Bjork, not John Ross Ewing tells Deion Sanders what to do. Well, unless they're directing the commercial, he happens to be shooting that day. NIL is not a problem with me, Sanders told our pal Joel Clad of Fox Sports a few months back, collectives are. Go on, Coach Prime, preach. Stephen A. can't hear you over the sound of your own bull junk. I don't know. In a way, I see Deion Sanders in the way I think a lot of the media sees Donald Trump, which is, on the one hand, what the fuck is this nightmare? And on the other hand, what a gift to journalism and to writing and to expression and et cetera. What is it like to be a columnist on Dion's turf?
1: I think it's exactly that i'm I'm glad you you mentioned the orange one i I have often said to my wife because we're political junkies and and we're also well why do you keep doing this? We're also news junkies. My dad was an anchorman who became a priest, which again, a whole nother topic. oh, wow. yeah, yeah, I know I'm an Iowan. We watch political coverage. it's what we do. We grow up with that. we grow up with uh with the corn and the cows and the presidential candidates and the football right? and thinking we know everything about, about all the above. So yeah, I'm like, Oh my, I think I turned to her one day of some Trumpian thing where you had all these defenders coming out and you had a certain amount of sycophancy. And, and I looked at her and I said, Oh my God, I'm covering Donald Trump. Oh my God. It's the same. And there's all these waves of control from the PR. And yet The fan base that adores him is taking up arms and calling me things on X and threatening me on X. And I'm like, I think I've entered this sphere now or as close as I would ever want to get that. Yeah, it is that kind of weird media phenomenon. And the closest thing to it, I think, in sports is 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 Deanna Trump. Knowing the rabid
0: nature of his following in Colorado all of a sudden everywhere, everywhere. Do you at all, even the back, 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 back recesses of your mind, worry about getting 500 or a thousand Dion supporters slamming you on social media.
1: There is the advantage of back to our, our couch session there earlier is that I have already been called every name to my face. And anonymously, I used to have a wall of hate uh, at the Des Moines register that, that preceded what became message boards and your direct DMS and your, your X messages. I had one, and I can say this now, in the podcast. is my absolute favorite was from the, there is a point to this digression. It was the uncle of an Iowa state center. I had ripped. I'm not going to say his name, but this man wrote at the end of it, you're this, you're that. And he's like, I hope you fucking die. You fuck in exclamation points in all caps. That was the Hall of Fame hate mail. I kept that in a place of honor that I always refer back to. And actually the sad postscript to that was then, and I wrote him back to say, "Here's why I said this and this and this." And obviously, you disagree. And I wish you and this player the best. Then, like four months later, he apologized in another email, and it just crushed me because I was like, it just takes all the sting out of this this great use of the F word multiple times in this email uh, to know that that I had been forgiven. Almost felt worse. So, the racism charges against me are new because. I mean, and Dion is a whole nother rabbit hole, but let me quickly summarize what that's like. There are Dion Sanders fans and there are buff fans and they are not universally the same thing. If Dion went to Rutgers, there would be all of this wave would be Scarlet Knights mania. That's all you'd be talking to Politi about this, that, that, that's, you'd be, be different folks. So we know that we're kind of in the crosshairs of this moving circus traveling circus but they're not the same thing and even longtime CU reporters have been accused of racism by Dion fans because that is the obsession of which and then back to the Trump comparison which the people who are really really into him are really really into him in an unhealthy way
0: my favorite moment I have to say in the Dion Sanders circus September 12th 2023 (laughs) CBS News sports anchor Rami Bean Oh, Romy tweets out a photo. What an unbelievable blessing. Dion Sanders taking the time out of his busy day and opening his heart to my parents. There's no limit to his kindness. A day we'll remember forever and posts a photo of Dion Sanders with her parents and her. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, this is, this has gone crazy.
1: Um, I don't want to throw my peers under the bus. There will be a time and a place knowing you and respecting you. I think a lot of the current Denver-Boulder media ecosystem would make you nauseous. I'm glad you brought that up as an example of kind of that's the mainstream of where we're at. There is a lot of kowtowing right now, more than, than I'm comfortable with. And in a way, ironically, it's made me stand out in that, and to be fair, I haven't really taking a bat to, to Dion at any level until he got dead-ass Pat Shermer involved in this. So the football side of things started going really South where I went, no, you you're, this is dumb. <laughs> this, this, this is really, really dumb. Don't do this. And then it's been kind of a, Oh, he's the bad guy ever since, but they were football things. They weren't ever personal things. So I think that's, that's fair game. But when he was making the switches at play caller, there was a point, I remember in one news conference, and when you bring up that photo, I think it it actually says a lot about where we're at in this market. That, And that's not to attack Romy specifically, because there are things we could get into off air that would make that a little clearer. But uh, no one would ask him, like, who's calling plays this week? It got to be like a half hour of thing, where at least two or three people had stood up and said, And this is, this again, Dion is a whole other thing. I've never had in nearly 30 years of this, a news conference where every sixth question was prefaced with Dion, you are so great. And by the way, this, and I just wanted to tell you how great you are. And then they sit down. I've never, have you ever seen that? First off, I've never seen that. And I just, and in this world where I go, so then I stand up and I go, so who's going to call plays? And then he just kind of, stiff arms it or says something charming or moves on or creates or doesn't answer. And then I just kind of shrug and go, what are we doing here? But yeah, it's, it's a, it's a different deal.
0: Do you feel like we are just, uh, I'm actually being serious. Do you feel like we, people like us are just dinosaurs. We are actually the industry, the business, the business model is actually pushing us to extinction. And I use her as an example again, Rami Bean, and I'm not, not to dog her specifically because I know, you know, had no journalism experience as a former cheerleader is hired by the local and oh she this is great like is that the new norm and people like us who are like yeah but what about the play calling we just look more and more like angry old guys
1: um sadly yes yeah yeah i i really do and and that i guess in a way thank god we we keep fighting the fight because i'm not sure we're winning but we show up <laughs> I've just never had an environment where I had to look around at everyone. And there's some seasoned professionals in a room. And no one will ask the basic things of the subject at hand pertaining to what we've got going on. I've never seen that in 30 years. I, I've never seen the abject fear that people have of Deion Sanders and Deion Sanders media team that so far. In cases that haven't involved money and being paid for access, fear that hasn't and respect that hasn't been paid back in scoops and access and what have you. And I'm not naming names, but it I just I I just I again, I I, help help me with a book deal, man, because there's one here for how bizarre. All this is and, and someday we'll we'll have a, a a cold beverage and and laugh and cry about what this was, because I think you'd have a field day with it, man. It's nuts.
0: I One of the early lessons I learned in sports was when I was at Sports Illustrated and I was covering a lot of, the, of, of Barry Bonds. Mm-hmm. And I remember I've talked about this in this podcast. I would watch Bonds and the Giants would be like, well, you can't have your own media people in the locker room. And he would say, well, I'm going to. And. Barry, you you can get two lockers. You can't get a whole wall. Well, I want a whole wall. And Barry, you can't bring in your own leather recliner. That's ridiculous. I'm going to bring in my own leather recliner. And if people like Barry or Dion or Trump walk through norms with enough confidence and swagger, and they have the financial wherewithal to do so, people kneel down before them. They just do. Most of us are afraid to be confrontational. And then if you are confrontational, you increasingly look like a dickhead.
1: Yeah, and here's where I, I guess, stand on my scars and that I don't care. Deion Sanders is just another coach. Mm -hmm. And frankly, he's not a very good one. He's He's not a good football coach. He's an excellent salesman. He's one of the best maybe 10 football players to ever play. He's all those things. But I cover Pete Rose, too. Pete Rose was not a good coach. He was not a good manager. It's not a good human being. May not be a perfect parallel. But there are people where that doesn't always equate. But he's also perfect, weirdly, in a way that we dinosaurs are not for this time and place in college sports. I had another. Uh, so many people have been chipping with me back and forth about Dion. And I know how much you don't love the collegiate model. And rightfully so for its many hypocrisies. America's beautiful hypocrisy, college sports. When you tell them it's about education, they turn to you and say, well, it's a business. This is why we did it. When you say, well, this was a business decision. And they say, no, it's about education. And they can hide behind everything and get all the perks. It's a, it's a terrible running. Assort. Anyone who's covered college sports should have, you know, whatever you believe in in life, should have this seventh chair in whatever afterlife paradise you want because they've had to deal with SIDs and ADs who have have given them the runaround for years and years and years. But Prime cuts through a lot of that in a way that now we're getting honestly what this is. It's the show. It's football. It's the money, stupid. Why complicate this for being what it is? I'm not wholly convinced that Travis Hunter is going to is here to be a student and not just an athlete on his way for his two year. I covered Andrew Wiggins at KU, and it was so uncomfortable because we all knew what he was there for. And how long he was going to be there and, you know, on the college hoop side is really icky, which also gives me a real backhanded, weird respect for Bill Self and that I'm surprised he doesn't walk. And I like Bill that he doesn't walk around with a T-shirt that just says, you know, I beat the FBI, <laughs> you know, just yeah. and the NCA. <laughs> Besides, that might be more impressive than the national titles that he could just give them all to give the government the middle finger and say, find it, find it. You know, that's like the ultimate, the ultimate coach. Fuck you back. People trying to find the the stuff that's dirty, but it's weird. Prime kind of airs a lot. Like you remove all those bullshit barriers. If you were about that, it's just like, look, I'm all about getting the kids. I'm about the show and I'm about winning. And really, yeah, I I want good young men. I want to graduate. Yada, yada, yada. But let's be real about what this is. I actually kind of find that refreshing as much as I disagree with some of his football philosophy as somebody who's had to watch, you know, the layers of that get thrown on me over the years. I I do appreciate it honesty. I'll give him that.
0: In a way I feel like with guys like that, I'm going to use Deion and Trump as comparisons. Cause I actually think they're pretty good comparisons. Yeah, like, they are. Oh, it's great. Everyone is like the supporters of Trump will say, look, man, he, the guy is honest. He's just honest. He tells you what he's saying and he tells you what he feels and he's honest. He got to admire his honesty. And I'm always like, There's another layer there that you're not actually seeing. And I actually think with Dion, when he had that whole, I'm bringing my own luggage thing, right? And he's talking to these players and he's basically saying to a lot of these players, you're gone. Yeah. Get lost. Yeah. He had his own guys filming that entire thing to put up on Instagram. So like on the one hand, it's like, wow, look at the refreshing candor. But then when you think more about it, it's like, holy shit. This guy not only is using this moment to boost himself, But he's he's putting on his own Instagram and social media feeds, which is viewed by millions of people, sort of the devastation of a 20 year old returning Colorado player who who suddenly doesn't know what he's going to do. That's not really being great and magnanimous. That's being a dickhead.
1: And it's staging it. Yes. I know for a fact I'm not on the prime show. I'm not sure I'll ever be on the prime show. There is shit on there that is staged to hell. And I'm not going to watch it because I saw reality. I don't need to see his version of this. And that's fine. That's what they're here for. They're here for the show and they're here to get Shadur and Shiloh drafted and hopefully win kind of in that order. And I think if you're a Buffs fan and you don't see what that is, then that's your own delusion. And I can't help you there. But I think given where they were and you can put yourself, and I know we've DM'd about this, That's how bad Colorado football was. Back to the Rutgers comparison. It's not fair with current Rutgers now, but I've talked to a lot of Buffalo alums who have gotten to know the last five, six years. And one of them, who's actually very well respected in this market, summed it up best in two words that we can say on this podcast, thankfully. Where he said to me, you know what this was? This was a fuck it hire. And he's right, because I I just want to be seen. I'm, I'm going to get in bed with the Kardashians, with the Trumps, because whatever happens, good or bad, I'm going to get looked at. And people just don't care about us in this market anymore the way they used to. All of which was true. So I think from a marketing standpoint, I'm objective enough in a subjective job to say, Colorado did the right thing for Colorado football. In the short term, in the long term, I I have my doubts.
0: There's nothing worse <laughs> for anyone who thinks that wants to think the best of humanity than to enter this profession.
1: No, and that's you, you. You've talked to to folks I know about being a fan. Yeah, I and I don't know that you know this about me. I I'm a massive Anglophile. Besides being a fat nerd, which is not a shock, and a baseball nerd, but I have found myself watching more english and scottish soccer in the last 10 years just because i want to have something to root for that i don't have to cover that i don't have to know how they made the sausage because i do once you do i think fundamentally as you're still a sports fan on some level i know we have to root you know I know you've talked about this with beat writers, So we don't we don't root for teams. We root for narratives. We root for stories. We root for our family. And lately we root for our job security. Those are what we root for. But we still have to root for something if we like this. I root for Leicester city in heart of Midlothian. That is what I go to my happy place yeah. because I can't do it on this continent. And I've met British journalists who have then said to me, we've had this fascinating cultural exchange where say they were a chiefs fan. And I tell them, Oh, this and this and this and this. And I just roll my eyes about this and oh, they know this about this Leicester player or this and this and this, because there's still that 12 year old in me who still has his base. I still have my baseball cards. I still have my stratomatic set. There's still a mythology to it that you want to, to embrace while also knowing uh, God, there was a lives in the, one of the Led Zeppelin books that one of the rock critics that went with them that, that uh, on one of their first tours said the great thing about sleeping with the animals, you get to see their pelts up close and and get to run with them and, and feel like you're an alpha. And the line that she had was, you also get to smell the shit firsthand. <laughs> and I think that's very true of sports journalism. I think it's extremely true of, of celebrity journalism. And in the case of Deion Sanders, we have found this nexus point where they uncomfortably merge and we have both.
0: You wrote a really tremendously beautiful piece back in 2001. And it was how Highlands Ranch basketball's Taylor Ray crafted 2021's best comeback story. And your lead was... Like any good love story, this one's got a scar. Actually, it has two. The big one resembles a shark bite, a rainbow mess of purple and pink that spans from hip to hip and crests like a gentle wave above the navel. The second scar is on Taylor Ray's neck. That's a spot where doctors removed a vein to recreate the portal vein in her liver. The liver they had to remove from her body to try to burn the cancer off of it, then stick it back in again. An act of God, Taylor called it. God, surgeons, community, friends, coaches, family, many hands pulling a rope that stretched from Highlands Ranch to New York City, the mother of all comebacks. It's this great, 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 great piece about this young basketball player, Taylor Ray. Is there still space? uh, And I'm not just setting you up to say yes. I'm actually genuinely wondering, like pieces like that, beautiful pieces about local athletes overcoming odds, the kind of pieces where Taylor Ray is going to have that story in her scrapbook or. At least on our Instagram feed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there still plenty of space for those stories, or are those are the rarities these days?
1: Oh, I think there's space. Even if things like Grantland, as an example, come and go, uh, I, I think there's always space for great storytelling as long as there are great stories to tell. That's the good thing about a limitless worldwide web. Is even if print space is finite and print jobs are extremely finite great storytelling is eternal and great stories are too which is good so yes that's a that's a flowery way of saying yes i'd forgotten that lead i've i've had so much uh robitussin with my cool <laughs> i forgot i you you're quoting 1996 stories and 2021 stories and i don't know either guy but uh he sounds like a weirdo the
0: writer sucks let me ask you a final question required to ask on this podcast Besides me at the Ezell Harding Good Pastor Christian football game in 96. I'm just making that up. What's the best confrontation from your career as a sports journalist?
1: Oh, I'm torn between Steve Alford called me into his office and and just wanted to try to say, do you know who I am in front of the SID and my sports editor. And that was okay, but it was soft because Corey Dillon threatened to, you know, you you're the King of these, but Corey Dillon threatened to kick my ass in 2000 for something I'd written with the Bengals. I'd gotten to know him and a few of his teammates pretty well and went to actually, you know, we play video. I was younger then. So we'd play like PlayStation three with each other and just chill out. And I was told him, I, you know, just don't, don't get it on record guys. Cause I'm going to have to chase this. This is the job. He violated his parole. It got to me. I foiled it. I had it. And he, he's like, how dare you motherfucker? How dare you? I trusted you. I'll never do that. I don't know if he ever did trust anyone again. And, and just made a big scene about the fact he had to go back to federal way, Washington and service and serve a probation that he was really relatively minor, but he was furious. I, I would say that at the rate we're going, that may be topped, God willing, by whatever Dion and I have coming up next, but we'll see.
0: I follow up by saying, was it bad judgment to be playing video games with a guy you're covering, or is that not that big a deal?
1: I think he's a beat writer at 24, 25. I don't think it's that big a deal, Yeah, but I had to let him know that this was the other side of that. And then they understood. It was kind of like you have boundaries, but you also want that access. But I also made it clear to them that, you know, we're not... Buddies, we we can be, and you have sources who obviously are, but in this job, it if you do something that's news, you are news all the time. So just be clear on that. And I think he was in the heat of moment and he forgot. And I probably haven't seen him in twenty five years, and and I wish him well. And but that's probably probably one of the better ones, unless you count Offer, and I'm not sure I do. Well,
0: listen, Sean, I say this sincerely. I love that we're having this conversation. I love the full circle ness of it. I love that all these years years later we're friends and we're able to laugh at our old selves. And um, I feel like I saw your struggles. We talked about them through DM through them over the years. And like, I love that you're writing these kick ass pieces for this still great newspaper. Like it actually warms my heart. It makes me feel good about journalism. And, and I I really appreciate you doing this as well.
1: No, thank you for thinking of me. And uh, likewise, and uh, you know, save a seat for me in Hollywood, my friend. We'll. we'll- <laughs>
0: You got it. I want to thank today's guest, Sean Keeler, for joining me at Two Riders Singing Yang. You can follow Sean on Twitter, at Sean Keeler, and read his work in the Denver Post. If you have a chance and enjoy Two Riders Singing Yang, please go to the vehicle of your choice and leave a nice review. I'd be really appreciative. Music is by the great MC White Al. Thanks again for joining me, and remember, keep riding.